Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. The legislative process is sometimes equated to the making of sausage. A lot of different parts go in. It's kind of a messy process. And out of the other end comes sausage, which we cook and we eat and presumably enjoy. These days, the legislative process is making an awful lot of sausage. Unfortunately, a lot of what comes out is really not edible and certainly not enjoyable. It's therefore important that we take notice of what's happening during the legislative process so that we can understand it more. Most of the time, what happens in our state legislatures, and in this case specifically in the North Carolina legislature in Raleigh, is so arcane and so uh, indecipherable that common people don't really understand either the process or what bills are being considered and how they're being considered. You have to understand that we can have a part in the legislative process, and my guest is someone who's going to educate us in how that can happen. My guest is Michael Howe. Michael Howe has an interesting background. He has a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and a Master of Public Administration, both from the University of North Florida in Jacksonville. In the 1990s, he was active in Republican Party politics in the state of Florida, and he actually held a seat on the executive committee of the state Republican Party in Florida. He also managed a few local political campaigns. Recently, however, he has become disenchanted with the GOP, and that led him to become an unaffiliated voter. He knows that a well-organized grassroots effort can serve to moderate the influence of money in politics. 
Now, that's something that he and I may have a little disagreement about, because I'm not sure that's as true as he think it, thinks it is. Nevertheless, he has become a single-issue advocate at this point, and that is an advocate for the Second Amendment. He states very clearly that without the Second Amendment, what remains in the Bill of Rights is merely ink on parchment. And he appreciates large advocacy groups like the NRA, the Gun Owners of America, the Second Amendment Foundation, and to that I would add GRNC in the state of North Carolina, who is also very active. And if you remember, we had Paul Vallone, the president and founder of GRNC, on this program several months ago. So today, it is my pleasure to welcome Michael Howe, to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. You're listening to part four and the conclusion of this very special interview with Michael Howe right here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Let me ask you a question. I mean, if the Castle Doctrine uh, is allows your car to be your domicile, what's to prevent someone from keeping it locked and well hidden in their car? No one really would ever know it's there. Uh, and then claim, if it ever happened, that, yeah, they had it there because that that car is their domicile. You know, it, it's not as if, it's not as if, if, if that, under those circumstances, and let's say you're in the parking lot, you're not going to be taking the thing out, brandishing it around all over the place, say, see, ha ha, I have a gun. But if you just kept it locked and hidden away somewhere where no one knew about it, it would be there for you once you drove out of the parking lot in case one of those really bad things did happen to you. This is true. However, law-abiding citizens should not have to be subjected to hiding something like that simply to be able to defend themselves or, for that matter, to exercise their Second Amendment right. I mean, what is at risk is their livelihood, their ability to make a living. And if for some reason that ever came to light, or I'll give you another example, Perhaps the employee gets into a situation on the way home or to work, going to work, and has to use that firearm to defend themselves, or just the fact that they produce the firearm and that stops a crime, but the information perhaps becomes public through a news report or just general chit-chat, and it gets back to the business owner, the employer. They could take action against that employee and... Under private property rights, we don't try to tell people what they can and can't do on their private property. They have the right to say, don't bring a firearm on my property. But there again, people should not be denied the ability to efficiently defend themselves. So this bill would force them to accept some measure of civil liability by doing that. What else uh, has been, is up there that has not yet been passed by either house? Well, the uh, House Bill 146, that would authorize anyone with a concealed handgun permit, um, that, or excuse me, employees, certain employees of schools, to carry on the campus. You know, we think back to Newtown, and apparently there was no one there who was armed, but what if six or seven or eight of those teachers had been carrying concealed weapons and could have responded much faster than when the police got there What we have seen happen with these mass shooters is when they meet uh, armed force, 
or they're about to meet armed force because they hear sirens closing in on them, they usually either kill themselves or they give up. And if someone was there with a firearm to meet force with force, certainly it would be far less devastating the loss of life that would occur, and this bill would empower certain employees under the approval, of course, in coordination with the administration to do that. We're going to take a quick break right here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. We'll have the conclusion of this interview with special guest Michael Howe right after this short commercial break. You know, you bring up a really excellent point, one that I've discussed before. Uh, And I look at the the shooting in the theater in Aurora, Colorado. The guy comes in through the back door armed. He's got a plan in mind, and he knows that no one is going to challenge him. All you need is, is for one person with a handgun to stand up, fire one shot at that guy, and his plan goes out the window. I agree. Uh, the, I agree. The notion that if um, someone stood up and shot him, that that would make things worse is totally ridiculous and foolish. We know from behavior of these people that if they are challenged, they fold immediately. If their plan is challenged or if they're challenged by force, their plan evaporates because they have come in there with that plan in mind. No one's going to challenge me. No one's going to shoot back. I'm going to have free reign to kill as much as I want. One person stands up, fires off one round, and that guy's out the back door or dead. And the very people who wish to counter that argument by saying, well, that'll just create a Wild West gunfight, etc., they know nothing about firearms. They know nothing about the way people who carry firearms are trained. They know nothing about defending oneself with a firearm. They just have a political axe to grind and It's sad that we have these things happen because now we're subjecting people to these gun-free zones, which are better referred to as victim disarmament zones, as Paul Vallone likes to say. And I agree, they're just a place for the bad guys to have guns, for the good guys to be disarmed. Well, that's, you know, that really brings up so many, you know, really important points. You know, from a philosophical point of view, the Second Amendment is very, very clear. And our founders fully intended for individual citizens to have the right to keep and bear arms all the time, 100% of the time. They did not intend in any way for there to be areas where bearing arms was not permitted. Uh, and people can, can say that back in those days, it, you know, that they didn't have, you know, semi-automatic weapons. They can say that things were more dangerous. Personally, I think things are more dangerous now than they were back in colonial times for a variety of reasons. But if you look at the four most important words in the Second Amendment, those words are shall not be infringed. Exactly. And the most important part of the Second Amendment is the period at the end of those four words. It's shall not be infringed, period. The period is there so that useless amendments, conditions, rules, and regulations would not be appended onto those four words. That is exactly what the founders had in mind when they wrote the Second Amendment. 
because like you say, without the Second Amendment, uh, really the rest of the Constitution is just words on parchment. That Second Amendment is what protects us against those who would remove the Constitution and its protections from our lives. You're absolutely right, Dr. Dan, because as, as, as has been said, man has only those rights which he can defend. Absolutely, and that's what really what the Second Amendment is about. It's about defending those rights. You know, Adolf Hitler said, in order to conquer a nation, you must first disarm its citizens. I mean, how ironic is it that we can use the words of one of history's greatest mass murderers to defend what is rightfully ours? That is, the Second Amendment and our individual right to remain secure and safe in our homes to protect our families from bodily harm and injury. Also, in the vein of that education property thing, you realize that if you have a concealed carry permit and you're carrying a firearm in your car and you take your kids to school and you pull onto school property or you go to pick them up in the afternoon, you're violating the law. You can't even drive up to the front door and pick up your children. Uh, Senate Bill 190, another bill, would change that so that CHP holders would be able to secure, keep those uh, firearms secured in their vehicle, couldn't take them out except for purposes of self-defense, but you'd be able to at least keep one in your vehicle. And my understanding of the law is, like, for example, here in Raleigh, we have NC State University, but there are some of the major roads that go through areas of Raleigh that actually cut across campus. The way you know it is the road signs are no longer green, they're in red, school colors. Technically, you're not supposed to have a firearm in your car when you're driving down that street. Uh, Hillsboro Avenue comes to mind. So or Senate Bill 190 would help to correct that. You know, it's kind of interesting that some, some of these things are just common sense. That's really what we're talking about. These are simple common sense changes to the rules and regulations that it's hard for me to understand why anyone would be, would object to it. I mean, anyone with any degree of common sense would say, yeah, you know, really that's not right to do that. Uh, that's why it's hard for me to sit back and see where people try to fight this when who are they, what are they trying to do? But of course, you know the answer to that, don't you? Well, you know, if they're anti-gun, if they're anti-freedom, they're going to resist us. It doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It doesn't matter what common sense tells us. They're going to resist it. Well, all I can say to you is that this has been a most enjoyable and very informative discussion. Uh, We certainly have found out how legislation gets passed, which... I was kind of in the dark about I heard about the second reading and third reading and fourth reading, and I'm, I'm just wondering what that was. But now I understand that this is a very definite process. Uh, you've explained to us the committee process, which, of course, is uh, very important. What that illustrates for, for us, for not only for our listeners, but for everyone who gets this program uh, on the Internet or through the email or listens on podcasts, it gives them an avenue to approach their legislators in order to help move bills 
through the state legislature. So you've given us also a good overview of four major bills that have been passed by the House that are now languishing in the Senate that we need to put some pressure on people to get them out of the committee and onto the Senate floor. And certainly there are other measures that uh, could be passed that will probably be a subject of further discussion. I think anything that hasn't passed the Senate at this point is probably not doesn't have much chance this legislative session, maybe even in the short session either. Is that correct? Well, if it doesn't pass at least one house that dies this session, it would have to be brought up again anew. But if it passed one house, then it can be held over and brought up again in the short session. So that just emphasizes the importance of these four bills, HB 937, HB 17, HB 452, and HB 405. And I know that, that you will be doing your part. I certainly will do and be doing my part. I know GRNC is definitely going to be doing their part. I know, I know Paul Vallone is not sitting back in an easy chair somewhere. He's a, he's a fine gentleman and uh, a fine patriot. And uh, he'll be, he and his organization will be doing a lot of work to get these out of committee and onto the Senate floor. Do you have any closing thoughts, Michael Howe? As you said, you can't stress citizen involvement enough. It's vital. We've got to support these organizations that are doing the yeoman's work. We need to be members of these organizations. We need to be working as individuals. We need to be educating those around us, whether they're family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, those that we can get to listen. The best way to introduce the topic, take someone shooting. They'll have a great time if they've never done it, and it's an opportunity to explain how gun rights Actually, the Second Amendment defends all our other rights. And I'd also like to mention that we don't want to overlook local gun clubs, like in Cherokee County, North Carolina, has the Mountain Country Rod and Gun Club. Not only do they upkeep the local uh, firing range there, but they raise money for the local shooting team. I understand they went to state this year in the state competition, and they affect the debate at the local level, whether through uh, the op-ed pages, responding to any gun control arguments that are being made. We've got to do our part to help these organizations and be individual citizen patriots to spread the word. Very, very good words. Michael Howe, I know both you and I uh, are members of the Mountain Rod and Glen Club. We support it. Uh, they are an incredible club. If Anyone listening to me wants to become a member, they can either contact me through my website or contact Michael Howe, and we will make sure that membership information uh, is, uh, that you get in membership information. Michael, it's been a pleasure to have you on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This has been an incredibly informative program. I'm sure that many listeners learned a lot of stuff. So thank you very much for being on the program, Michael Howe. And I want to close with four words. Do you know what those four words are, Michael? No, sir. Shall not be infringed. Period. Period. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Dr. Dan. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Oh, me the mischief. Oh, 
Thank <laughs> you. 